I love that part of the song that says, if you're ready for a breakthrough, just receive that breakthrough. Are you ready for a breakthrough? I know there's some areas in my life I need a breakthrough in. I don't want to stay stuck. I don't know what area of your life you need a breakthrough in, but I bet you need a breakthrough. And maybe it's a barrier that you just can't get past. Maybe it's a wound that just never heals, but I'm so glad we have the God of the breakthrough. Aren't you ready for a breakthrough today, Woodland Church? Yeah. I am thankful we have the God of the breakthrough and he's here right now and I believe with all my heart that everyone within the sound of my voice, God wants to give you that breakthrough. He loves you, so let's go to him and let's ask him for it. He answers prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love for us and Lord, I know that we all come here for different reasons, but every one of us carry a burden. Every one of us have hidden hurts. Every one of us have obstacles that we face. So I just pray right now that you would just begin breaking down those walls, that you would just smash down the barriers, Lord, and turn them into the very bridge that will take us to our destiny. Lord, we pray that you would heal hurts that we can't heal that you would heal broken emotions and broken bodies and broken hearts, broken minds, that you would do that for your glory, Lord. We need your breakthrough today, and we thank you that you have the power to break through any barrier. And we ask you for it in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We're in a series I'm calling Dinner with Jesus, because there's so many times in the gospel that we see Jesus eating dinner with people. Why is that? Because with Jesus, it's all about relationships. And Christianity is all about relationship. It's all about our relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And many times Jesus ate dinner with people who weren't religious, people that everyone knew lived sinful lives. People everyone knew were far from God. In fact, that was the number one thing his critics accused him of. They said he's a drunk and a glutton and he eats dinner with sinners. Now the first ones weren't true. He wasn't a drunk, he wasn't a glutton, but the second one was right on. It's totally true. He ate with sinners and they loved hanging out with Jesus. They weren't bored with him, they weren't scared of him, they wanted to be around him. And that amazes me because whenever I show up at a party, it shuts down the party. It's like pastors here, shut her down. No more fun. I think people are afraid of pastors, but they weren't afraid of Jesus. Well, except for the religious leaders who he always you know, pointed out their hypocrisy and he said things like, on the outside you look good, but on the inside you're like dead and decaying bones. Pretty harsh words for the hypocrites. The people who were lost and far from God were drawn to Jesus. Jesus was the life of the party. Not because he was a partier. No, Jesus was the life of the party because he is life. He is life in all its fullness. And so many of the greatest life-changing moments in the Gospels happened when Jesus was at the dinner table. Life itself at the dinner table. Life that no one else and nothing else could give. So it's no wonder his enemy's biggest criticism of him was about Jesus at the dinner table. So I want us to look at one of the occasions where Jesus was criticized for who he ate with. 
and you've probably heard of him. His name was Zach Kiss. And if you ever attended Sunday school as a kid, you probably heard about Zach Kiss through that little song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for Jesus he wanted to see. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you come down from there because I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. Thank you. Thank you. The worship team's gonna do that next week, so be here, it's gonna be amazing. Now, those of you who never went to Sunday school growing up, you're going, that's a weird song. It reminds me of a pastor friend of mine who told me how one of his volunteers in children's ministry came up to him after a church service and said, Pastor, I think I really messed up. And he said, what do you mean? She said, well, I asked the kids, who knows a song we can sing? And she said, a kid who was there for the first time raised his hand and he sang every word of loving two women's like a ball and chain. And the pastor said, I love that. I'm so grateful for our children's ministry because so many of us wish we'd grown up learning the life-changing stories of the Bible in a fun and loving environment where church is fun. When we started the church, Chris started the children's ministry because she said, I want church to be the best hour of the week for our kids. I want them to love coming to church. I want them to love learning the stories, the Bible stories about Jesus and the values of God's word. And I want them to see Christian volunteers that are fun and love them. Church shouldn't be boring. That's just my personal bias. Chris and I believe church shouldn't be boring. It should be the best hour of your week. Sometimes the pastor goes long and it's an hour and a half, but it's worth it. Well, I want you to look at Luke chapter nine because we see Jesus eating dinner again. Now, the scripture never says specifically that Jesus ate dinner with Zacchaeus. It says he went to his house, but it's definitely implied because with Middle Eastern culture, when you invited someone over to your house, you always serve them dinner. So let's look at Luke chapter 19. And would you stand in honor of God's word? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You can be seated. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and he passed through this beautiful town of Jericho. Now, Jericho was this amazing oasis in the desert. It was filled with palm trees and beautiful pools of spring water. Jericho's climate was almost always sunny. There was always a dry, cool breeze blowing through. I've been to Jericho three times, and it's still a beautiful oasis in the desert. The best thing about Jericho is there are no mosquitoes there. 
And when I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask God, why in the world did you create mosquitoes? I do not get that. And because Jericho was such a desirable place to live, it was also one of the most taxed towns in all Israel. The Israelites were being occupied by the Romans, and whenever the Romans came in and conquered a place, they would implement their government, they would take over everything, and they would tax towns like Jericho for as much as they could. But the Romans wouldn't collect the taxes. They were real smart about this. They hired greedy Israelites to collect the taxes. They would hire dishonest, ambitious Israelites who would be in charge of an area of town, and they would collect the tax from the people and give it to the Romans. And they would always collect extra and keep it for themselves. They would profit from the suffering of their own citizens. And because of this, tax collectors were despised. They were working with the enemy. They were working against their own people. They were despicable, dishonest traitors collaborating with the oppressors. Zacchaeus was one of those dishonest tax collectors. In fact, it says he was a chief tax collector, which probably means he was over all the other tax collectors. He was very ambitious, working his way to the top because he had placed everything he had on the bet that his money and possessions would bring him happiness. But instead, the more wealth he accumulated, the emptier he became. But then he met Jesus. You know, I can say that about myself. But then I met Jesus. But then I met Jesus. Can you say that? But then I met Jesus. Here's the way I was before. But then I met Jesus and everything changed. If you can say, but then I met Jesus, be grateful. Jesus walked into your life and he changed everything. Well, I want us to look at this passage closer. Let's look at Luke 19, verse five. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, what spot? The very spot where Zacchaeus was. You see, Jesus knew where Zacchaeus was. Jesus is coming through this beautiful village of Jericho, and the crowd had already gathered because they wanted to see Jesus of Nazareth, this miracle worker, this prophet who was coming through their town. And Zacchaeus was no different. He wanted to see Jesus, but he was short. He couldn't see over the crowd. So he climbs up in a sycamore tree so he can see over the crowd. Jesus is coming through Jericho with this huge crowd pressing in all around him, and he comes to the very spot, and he stops. The very spot where Zacchaeus was. And here's the first big principle that you really need to get. Jesus always meets us where we are. He always meets us where we are. He comes to the very spot where we are. He came to the very place Zacchaeus was. Now I'm not talking about the physical location, I'm talking about Zacchaeus' spiritual location. He came right to where Zacchaeus was spiritually. This place of emptiness, this place of guilt and shame and sin. Jesus came to him right in his mess. And Jesus doesn't wait until you clean up your act and get your life together before you can come to him. He doesn't say, well, if you'll clean up the mess of your life, you'll get your life together and you start living right, then maybe I'll love you. But first you gotta do that. So glad Jesus meets us in our mess so he can work a miracle. It says when Jesus reached the spot He stopped and he looked up and he sees Zacchaeus in that tree. 
And sometimes Jesus looks up to see us. Maybe you're climbing the ladder of success and when everyone else sees you, they see success. They see that you got it made. They envy you. They see influence. They see power. They see that you must be so happy. But when Jesus sees you, he sees the emptiness in your soul because he really sees you. He sees your regrets. He sees your longing for meaning. He really sees you. Sometimes Jesus looks up to see us, but sometimes Jesus looks down to see us. And maybe right now you've hit rock bottom and you feel like that you're buried under an avalanche of failure. Or maybe your heart feels crushed by the weight of grief and loss that you feel like you can never get out from under. Jesus looks down and he sees you. He sees your hurt. He sees your despair. He sees your brokenness. And his heart breaks with you. He sees you. So whether Jesus looks up at the highest mountain or he looks down at the lowest valley, he sees you. He sees right where you're at. And I believe today he's coming to the very spot your heart is at to heal you. He's coming right into your mess to work a miracle. You see, you came to church today. Are you connected online? But Jesus is coming right to the very spot that you're sitting, right to the very place where you are. And he stops because he meets you right where you're at, meets you in your mess to work a miracle. It's one of the things that I learned a long time ago in ministry. As you look at Jesus' ministry, he always meets you where you are. My dad always told me, you know, the, really what ministry is all about is meeting people where they are not expecting them to change until the Lord Jesus changes them, but meeting them right where they are. I remember when Chris and I first started the church, the doorbell at our house rang. I opened the door and it was a woman who was a neighbor that I hadn't met yet. And she lived several houses down across the street and she looked panicked and she said, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yes, why? And she said, come with me. And she took off running back to her house, and I just followed her. Her garage door was open. She ran into the garage. I followed her into the garage, and she said, today my son brought his hamster to school, and his hamster died, and he's sitting in the car. He won't get out of the car. He's just holding his dead hamster. I don't know what to do. Can you pray over it or something? And I'm going to hope you're not expecting me to pray that God will raise it from the dead. I can't touch it. It's going to raise I can't do that, probably. I don't think God wants to do that, probably. He's in a better place. But I thought, Lord, I don't know what to do. I was just praying, Lord, I have no idea what to do. She said, can you do something? You're a pastor. And I go, I go, sure, sure. That's what they trained you to do in seminary. You bet. So, and I remember opening the door and I said, hey, buddy, I'm so sorry about your hamster. Oh, I know that hurts so much. And I said, what's the hamster's name? And he said, Chuckles. And I said, you know, I know Chuckles lived a great life and we could be thankful for that. And, and you know what? Even though we hurt, Chuckles is in heaven right now. He's running on that great wheel in the sky. He's stuffing his pouches with the great feast of the lamb. I mean, he's, he's doing great right now. And so I know we're sad, but Chuckles is doing great. Let me just pray over the whole thing here. And so I bowed my head and I said, Lord, we thank you for chuckles. 
He lived a great life and he died doing what he loved, making kids happy who squeezed him to death. And we thank you. We thank you for dear Chuckles and now he's with you in heaven and glory. He has a new body, whole, healed. Lord, thank you. And I pray for this little guy, you would just calm his fears and just heal him of his grief. Amen. And when I said amen, the little boy was laughing his head off. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, I said, checkers, not chuckles. <laughs> I had prayed for the wrong hamster, but we all got a chuckle out of it. And he was feeling better. He got out of the car, had a little funeral for checkers, and everything was great. And they came to church two weeks later because they thought, hey, if a pastor cares about that hamster, then maybe he cares about us. And they came to know Christ. And I thought, you know, God, meet people where they're at. That's the secret. Help me just meet people where they're at and care about what they care about because some things that you care deeply about, some hurts that you're carrying, tell someone else they don't think it's a big deal, but it's a big deal to you, and it's a big deal to God because he meets you right in the middle of your hurt. Well, let's look again at Luke chapter 19. In verse five, it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' home. Now, what if I told you the Son of God is coming to your house tonight in a physical form? He's coming over to your house this evening for dinner. You'd probably leave church right now in a panic. You'd do a little picking up around the house. You'd go to the store and you'd get something to make a big dinner with. But Zacchaeus didn't even have time for that. Jesus said, I'm coming to your house, and I'm coming right now. And Zacchaeus was so excited. He almost fell out of the tree, and he welcomed Jesus into his home without hesitation. And here's the second big principle that I want you to get. When Jesus meets you where you are, you have to invite him into your house and give him a seat at your table. When Jesus meets you where you are, you've got to make a decision right there. Are you going to invite him into the house of your heart, right then and now, are you going to reject him? Zacchaeus opened the door of his house, invited Jesus in, and gave him a seat at the table. And Zacchaeus didn't have time to tidy up the house. He didn't have time to set a beautiful table with a luxurious meal. No, he invited Jesus into his house and gave him a seat at the table just as it was. And you don't have to pretend with Jesus. You don't have to clean up your act with Jesus. You invite him into the messed up house of your heart. You give him a seat at your broken and barren table and he cleanses you from all your sins and guilt. He heals your brokenness. He makes you whole. The great news is we invite him into our lives just as we are. It's just as I am. Without one plea, without excuse, without trying to clean up my mess because he's the only one that can really clean it up. It's just as I am in my brokenness and sin. And he works the miracle. Well, let's look again at Luke 19, verse seven. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. So the people criticized Jesus and they said, he's going to a sinner's house. And it was true. You see, in Christ's time, there were two religious groups that dominated. There were the Pharisees, and the Pharisees believed the truth of the Old Testament. They believed the Ten Commandments. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. 
They believed in heaven. They believed strongly the truth. They had held to the truth, but they had no grace. They had truth with no grace. They were judgmental, always judging everyone else. They were legalistic. They were really hypocrites because they were religious on the outside, but they weren't obeying the Ten Commandments on the inside. It was all about show. And then there were the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees had given up on truth. They didn't believe in heaven or the resurrection. They had just given up totally on truth. And really, they were religious because they used it as a way to get ahead and to get in with the Roman government. And it was all about getting ahead with power and influence. They were religious, but why? I mean, why? And I know some pastors today that don't even believe God's word is true. And I think, man, get a real job. Why? Why are you even being a pastor? Why even be religious if you don't believe it? That's the way the Sadducees were. And I think Zacchaeus saw both of these groups and he saw these hypocrites that believed the truth but weren't living it. And then he saw these Sadducees that didn't have any truth. And he thought, forget that. Forget that. I'm just going to do what I want. Forget all that. That's not real. And I know today there are some churches that preach the truth. They stay true to the word of God. They believe the truth, and that's so important. They hold on to the truth, but there's no grace. They're so judgmental. They're always hitting people over the head with the truth. And the Bible says Jesus came with truth and grace. But then there are more and more churches today that are giving up the truth and saying we're all about grace. We love everybody. We're all about grace. And and because culture has changed, and what culture thinks is wrong and sin and not best for us is not what God says. God's word's always been the same, and now culture's saying, well, that's probably okay, that's probably okay, that's probably okay, and they're just going along with culture instead of Christ. And it's all about grace, but did you know there's no grace without truth? Because truth makes you realize how much you need grace. The truth is my sins are so bad, they caused the God of the universe to have to die on a cross so they could be washed away. And so you have to admit the truth so you can experience grace. And I'm gonna tell you, this church is gonna stay with the truth because the truth is the only thing you can build your life on, the truth of God's word. God's word is true. It doesn't matter what culture says. What matters is what Christ says. And so we're gonna stay on the truth, founded on the truth and the foundations today of society are crumbling. The foundation of the family is crumbling, and that's why society's crumbling. And we need Jesus desperately to stay on the truth. But also, we're gonna give grace. We're gonna love everybody. Everybody's welcome at Woodland Church. We're all in the same boat. We're all broken, and we need him. And everyone who admits, hey, I've sinned like everyone else. I wanna come to Jesus Christ at his table of grace. Forgiveness. It's for all those who admit that they need forgiveness. It's all about truth and grace. It's all about being like Jesus, and that's the hardest thing to be. It's really easy to stay on truth and just batter everyone else. It's really easy to say, just love everybody. It's all about grace. Everybody's gonna love you. Nobody's gonna think that you don't like them. It's all great, but when you're truth and love like Jesus, you're gonna love everybody, but you're gonna stand on the truth. And some people, because you're standing on the truth, are gonna think, you know, you're awful. You're terrible. 
they're going to hate. And when you love everybody, there's people that'll get upset at you because why are you loving them? Why are you eating with sinners? And that's what happened to Jesus. But that's who we're called to be like. It's truth and grace. We'll look at verse three of chapter 19. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because the people were in his way. And sometimes lost people can't see Jesus because Christians are in their way. They can't see Jesus because a judgmental, unloving Christian is in the way. And the only way they'll see Jesus is if they see Jesus' grace and truth in our lives. That's the only way. You know, years ago, there was this saying, WWJD, and there was bracelets that we would wear, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And you were supposed to go through the day looking at that bracelet, and before you did anything, you're supposed to ask, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus do? And then you're supposed to do what Jesus did. Now, that's great, I understand that, and nothing really wrong with that. It's better than WWKD, what would Carrie do, because you're gonna go wrong if you do that, but, but really, when you think about it, we don't know what Jesus would do because he was always surprising people. He always did the unexpected, and here he is, walking through Jericho, the crowds are all around him, he's going to the cross, to Jerusalem, to die for all mankind, and what does he do? He stops for a tax collector, a cheat, and he says, hey, I'm going to your house today. That wasn't on the agenda. At least the disciples didn't think so. It's like, Jesus, that's not on your schedule. You've got important things to do, and don't you know what this man is like? He doesn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve you honoring his house. What are you doing? Are you condoning his behavior? What are you doing? Jesus is always surprising us in Scripture. So how do you know what Jesus would do? And then if you know what Jesus would do, how can you do it? Because we're human beings, we're weak and we fail. But here's the amazing thing. When you invite Christ into your life, you have Jesus in your life. And the only person who's ever lived the Christian life successfully is Jesus Christ. But when Christ is in your life, he can give you the wisdom to do what he would do in that situation and it might surprise everyone else. And then he'll give you the power to do it. He will give you the power to do it because he'll live the Christian life through you, through his power. You can't do it in your own human strength. You have to surrender every day to his power and his strength. And then you will do what Jesus would do because he'll be doing it through you. And you'll do it with his power and not your strength. You know, I love the fact that Zacchaeus Climb that tree like a little child. He didn't care what anyone else thought of him. He reverted back to his childhood. The word Zacchaeus, the name Zacchaeus means pure. It had been a long time since he'd had a pure heart. He had lost his innocence a long time ago. But yet, he reverts back to a little child and he climbs that tree. Like a little child. Jesus said, unless you come to me like a little child, you can't come into the kingdom of heaven. But he reverts back to being a little child, excited about climbing that tree, not worrying what anyone else thinks about him. I love that my wife is like that. So adventurous, has that childlike wonder that she's never lost. And she grew up in a little suburb of Chicago, Glen Ellen, Illinois. And she'd always told me what an idyllic little community that was to grow up. And she always told me that she had 
um, that Chris always told me is she had this tree in her yard that was amazing. She'd climb up in that tree and then she would read and it was her little getaway spot and she loved that tree. So when a few years ago we went back and we went to that house, first thing she did was revert back to her childhood and climb that tree. Show that again, guys. Yeah. I mean, and she didn't stop there. She climbed on up the tree and the tree's a lot higher now. She just loved that. And I love that heart that Chris has because it's not just an adventurous heart. She's drugged me all over the world, you know, when I didn't really want to go and it's been life changing. Uh, but it's that childlike faith and that's not an immature faith. When Jesus said, you gotta have childlike faith to come to me, he wasn't talking about knowledge. He was talking about your heart. You have to humble yourself and realize that you can't lift yourself up and you come to him and he holds you up. It's that childlike faith that you gotta surrender to him. And God makes a place at his table for everyone who comes to his table of forgiveness and grace. But you have to come to his table. He comes to your table to invite you to his table. He doesn't stay at your table. You can make your own table of truth and live there at that table and say, well, I just believe I'm okay. This is my truth. No, you have to come to Jesus' table of truth. Admit your sins and you experience his table of forgiveness, purpose, and meaning. Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, don't worry about your sins. Don't worry about all the times you've cheated people. Uh, don't worry about the darkness in your heart. Man, I love you. You're okay. We're all okay. It's no big deal. No, he didn't say that. He came to Zacchaeus with truth, the perfect son of God, but with love. And he said, Zacchaeus, there's room at the table for you. I came to your table today so I can bring you back to my table of grace and you can experience my forgiveness. You can experience life to the full. And God makes a place at the table for everyone who comes to his table. Everyone who comes to his table, he makes a place for you. There's always room at the table. I'm so grateful there was room at the table for me. When he came to get me and bring me to his table, he had a special place for me. He had a seat with my name on it. From the beginning of creation, he put that seat there with my name on it and he brought me to the table and there was room at the table for me. Now look at verse eight of chapter 19. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So Zacchaeus comes to the table of truth and grace and his whole life is changed. But then he met Jesus and everything changed. And here's the point, Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He loves you just the way you are in the middle of your mess, but he loves you too much to stay that way. He wants to work a miracle in your life. Zacchaeus' life was changed forever. He's no longer a selfish taker, he's a sacrificial giver. That becomes the signature of his life. Not a taker, but a giver. And when you really come to the table of God's undeserved grace, you will become an unreserved giver. When your heart is changed, your actions change. You become a giver because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you become like Jesus, a giver rather than a taker. You're never the same again. You see people differently. Zacchaeus, before when he saw people, he just saw someone else he could exploit. But now, he sees people as someone Christ loves. And we see every person as someone Christ loves. Even the atheist that hates you, that's all against God and rails against God, 
When I look at him, I see someone Jesus died for and loves. You see, so many times we think that someone who is against us, someone who's against God, someone who is our enemy, that we're to come back the same way with hate, but God says, no, you're to love your enemies. It's like, wow, Jesus, I don't know that I can do that. He says, you can't, but I can do it through you with love and truth and grace. We're to see everyone as someone Jesus died for. And you know, this church makes room. I love that. Jesus said you need to make room for the least of these. Christ said when you do it for the least of these, when you do it for the poorest of the poor, when you love those who don't have a voice, when you love those who are poor and powerless, then you're really loving me. When you do it for the least of these and you make room at the table for the least of these, you've made room for me. And so the church is to make room for the least of these. We're to make room for the unborn child that doesn't have a voice. We're to make room for that unwed mother who has no resources to carry her child. And we come alongside them to give them those resources so that precious child is not an accident. No such thing as an accident in God's eyes. That child can live. And that's why we do all those ministries around foster and adoption ministry and our Pregnancy Assistance Center ministry, all those ministries, truth and love. It's all about God's grace. And that's why we minister to the poor and the powerless. Some of the poorest people on the planet, we go around the world to minister to them and to lift them out of poverty, not with a handout, but with a help up with God's power and grace, providing them with the practical resources that they need. And that's why we're going to downtown Houston to the east side because we wanna be a light to help others and churches that are already doing the great work, we're gonna come alongside them and we're gonna assist and we're gonna send every one of you down there to meet needs and mentor kids and make an impact and to make a difference in a huge way. Why? Because Jesus says you make a seat at the table for the least of these. And I'm really excited about a new ministry we started this fall, my daughter Megan had it on her heart because the, our church had not made a seat at the table for some folks that God loves so much. And it's children with special needs. And why do so many churches not make room at the table for kids with special needs? Because it's hard, it's hard. And so we said, you know what, we're gonna do it no matter what. And so we put a lot of resources into it this fall and we hired an amazing woman at our church who's been trained in special needs and degreed in special needs and Anna Krieger and with my daughter Megan's vision, uh, we have made this amazing area that we call Embrace and ministry we call Embrace and we started it at the 1130 service and, and these kids are amazing and we haven't announced it yet uh, until today but it's already packed out and overflowing and so we're gonna expand it, we wanna expand it to all the services all the way up from birth to adulthood to make a seat at the table. Just watch. Yeah, it's an amazing ministry that's so needed. And it's needed for the parents as much as the children. And so we haven't even announced it and it's already full to overflowing. And so we need to start it at the other services and keep bringing the grades up to all levels. And so we need you to volunteer. And so right after the service, right here on the stage, 
We're gonna have folks up here to tell you how you can help, how you can volunteer. We're gonna need lots of volunteers to expand this ministry right away, starting next weekend. And so if you would be interested in volunteering, come up here right after the service. If you have expertise in special needs, we need you. The only people we don't wanna volunteer are the parents because they need a break. And so that's what this ministry is all about for the child and for the parents. And so, man, if God's putting that on your heart in any way, you don't have to have expertise, we'll train you. But for those of you who do, we need you. God is working and we're making a seat at the table for everyone. Well, look at this last verse, the very first verse of the whole passage. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jesus was passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem to go to the cross to save the world, but he stopped to save one man. I love that because he always stops to save one man, one woman, one child. That's what Jesus does so that he can bring them to his table because there's always room for one more. When Chris and I started the church, I've told you many times how second week of the church, only eight people came and we thought we had failed and we're like, God, we, we thought that you were gonna do something big, that you're calling us to a huge vision and you're gonna do this and now look at this. But God really impressed upon our hearts. Hey, it's my church, I'll build my church and here's your job to make room at the table for one more. And he's impressed on our hearts and we talked about a lot if just one person comes to Christ because of what we're doing, isn't it all worth it? If just one person's eternal destiny is forever changed, isn't it all worth it? We're like, yeah, of course it's worth it. And that really took all the pressure off. We went back the next week and our goal was just one person coming to Jesus, one person coming to Jesus Christ, one person. And at our first celebration service, four people prayed to receive Christ and their eternal destinies were forever changed. We said, you know, if nothing else happens, it's all worth it, but you know what? God wants one more to come to Christ. So we're gonna come back next week and we're gonna pray for one more. One more. We're always gonna make a seat at the table for one more. And God began to bless and we ran out of space in the little elementary auditorium that didn't hold very many people in the first place. And I told some of our members, hey, we've gotta start another service. There's no room for anyone to come in that's new. And, and so many of them said, almost every one of them said, why? I mean, we love it the way it is. And if we start another service, they're gonna be friends that we won't even see. We won't even feel like they don't even go to the same church. And no, please don't do that. And I said, yeah, but think about it. If someone new comes that doesn't know Christ and the place is full, what do we do? Just have ushers out there that say, sorry, there's no room for you. So you go to hell, we don't care. And they said, you know what? We do need to go to two services. When you put it like that, and I said, that's the way it really is. And our goal has always been to make room for one more, to make room for one more. And that's why we keep reaching out. That's why we built this auditorium and stretched like crazy to do it because we don't wanna ever have to turn anyone away. And now we go to where people are and stop on the spot to go right where they are. That's why we did our Itascacita campus because our goal is one more. That's why we're going downtown because our goal is just one more. One more, because there's always room at the table for one more. Because it's not about numbers, it's not about lots of people, it's about one person. It's about you, it's about me. It's about that one person that's not a part of our church yet. It's about that one person 
whose eternal destiny is hanging in the balance. It's about that one more. Lord Jesus, just one more, and let's make one more seat at the table at Woodland Church because God always makes one more seat at his table of grace. There's room at the table for you, and if you've never come to the table of grace, I want you to know that he's come to your table to bring you back home. He wants you to come home to his home, his table, so you can experience life to the full and then heaven one day. Some of you may be thinking, Carrie, I have wandered so far away from God's table. You're a pastor, you don't get it. You don't know what I've done. I've done some awful things and I'm so far from God, I can never get back. And I want you to know, you don't have to get back because he's come to the spot where you're at right now and all you have to do is turn to him. Turn to him and admit your sins and he cleanses you at his table of grace and he sets you on a new course. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm not that bad. I don't really, you know, I've got to change a few things in my life. But you know what? Jesus Christ is right there. But you've got to give up your pride. You've got to give up your pride and come to him like a little child and say, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I've sinned. My sins caused you to go to the cross and die. I need your forgiveness. I need you. I need you to get me to heaven one day. I can't. I need you to change my life. And then you can come to the table of his grace. You have to humble yourself to come to the table of grace and admit that you need him. I want us to stand together. And would you bow your head? And I want to pray for all those who've never really sat down at the table of grace. Just pray this prayer silently in your heart. Jesus Christ, I need you. Thank you for coming to this earth and dying for me because you came to my table of brokenness. You came into my mess. And so now, Lord, I invite you into my heart. I invite you into the home of my heart and brokenness. I invite you to my table. And then, Lord Jesus, I ask you to take me to your table of grace. Forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life with your Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out. Give me a fresh start. I accept your free gift of grace and I accept your free gift of heaven one day. And now, Lord, guide me in my faith. Help me obey you to follow your truth with your power. And then, Lord, I pray for every Christ follower here because so many times I get up from the table of grace. I try to do it myself and I fail. Or sometimes, Lord, I get up from the table of grace and I feel guilt and condemnation and and don't realize that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Lord, help us sit at the table of grace and eat from the table of grace so we can have victory over sin. We can have victory over our struggles. Help us to connect with others who are going the right direction, who can encourage us, Lord, to walk in your ways, to stay in your ways. And Lord, I just pray right now in this moment that you would help every one of us realize just a little bit of how much you love us, that that love is so amazing that it can never change. Even if someone never loves you back, Lord, you'll always love them. And Lord, I pray that every one of us would love you back. And I thank you for your love that sets us free to surrender everything we have to you. 
and to live at your table of grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Aren't you grateful? There's room for one more at his table. Aren't you grateful that there was room at the table for you? That he didn't close down the table before you came to Christ. Aren't you grateful for the people at Woodland Church who said, let's go to a second service and let's sacrifice of our time and our resources to build this building. Aren't you grateful, people in Itasca seated, that there were some folks at Woodland's campus who said, you know what? Let's sacrifice and let's give to a campus we will never, ever attend because one more. Let's make room for one more seat at the table. And now we get to do that for our downtown campus to make sure there's room for one more to come to Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad there was room at the table for you? Praise God. I just thank the Lord for what he's doing in our lives, what he's doing in our church. Next weekend, Chris and I are gonna preach together the last of the series, Dinner with Jesus, and it's gonna be about the Last Supper and the Lasting Supper. The Last Supper that Jesus ate on this earth was the most important, and we're gonna talk about that. Then we're gonna talk about the Lasting Supper, the dinner with Jesus you get to have when you get to heaven because you're gonna have dinner with Jesus in this great feast, and it's real. And Chris is amazing and gonna be great. I love teaching with Chris. She doesn't really need me, but I get to teach with her. She's beautiful and amazing. I just start looking at her and go, wow, God, it's your grace. It's all your grace. It's proof of your grace that somehow I got her. You know, and sometimes on our television program, people will call in and say, I love it when he preaches with his daughter. Yeah. They also call in with cures for baldness, all kinds of stuff, you know, just trying to help me out. So encouraging. But I love preaching with my baby. I love, you know, us, you know, coming together to teach. Be here next week for it. It's going to be amazing. And by the way, embrace. Come right up here if you're interested in it. By the stage, it'll just last a few minutes. We'll tell you how you can be involved. And next Sunday night, October the 8th, at 6 p.m., we're having a church-wide family dinner on the grounds at both of our campuses. Out here on the turf, just bring a blanket. We're gonna have barbecue and fixings that's free. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna have fun and games for your kids. We're just gonna get together as a church family and just fellowship and have some dinner together. Gonna be amazing. Don't miss it. You know, Woodland Church, I'm so glad that God made room at the table for me and he makes room at the table for you. And he loves us so much that If you're a Christ follower, you don't have to try to impress God. You can't make God love you any more or less than he does right now. Whenever I sin, God loves me the same. He hurts. He hates it because he knows how devastating sin is in my life, in my relationships. It's destructive. It's not what God intended. But he loves me just the same. And whenever I do good works and I follow him and obey him, he doesn't love me more. He can't. He loves me perfectly. That's the love of God. And I want you to walk in that this week. And I want you to sit at the table of grace and stand in the feet of grace and walk in the path of grace and just thank the Lord that he loves you. And it's my prayer over the next few moments as we sing this song that you'll just think about the love of God and how he loves you and his love will never end. His love will always be there for you. You can always turn to him. You don't have to prove anything to him. You just receive it. Are you ready for a breakthrough? Just receive it right now because of his love. 
Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.